There we go. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's, let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, thank you that um, we're able to come together uh, this Sabbath and look at Scripture, Father, and the spirit of prophecy. And we just pray, Lord, that our hearts, our minds would be open to hear from heaven. We know you have something special in mind. Uh, may it be done to your glory, Lord. Speak through me, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As Brother Bridges mentioned, you know, this is rare, but sometimes it happens. This morning, um, I was impressed that the message that was originally scheduled was not the message for you today, perhaps uh, next time. Um, But this this message here, um, Lord, uh, impressed me that he wanted me to share. So let me ask you this. Are you thankful for the presence of the Lord? You know, we often claim the promise in Matthew 18 where the Lord says where two or more are gathered in his name, he is in our midst. And you know, what a privilege it is to be called children of God and to be able to gather uh, together like we do in the Lord's house on the Sabbath uh, during this sacred time. And you know, we're living in very special time. Uh, You know, the Bible talks about distress of nations and men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. That's that's in Luke uh, chapter 21. And and so really it is a very special time that we live. And it's a privilege, um, I think, to be living uh, in 2023, just before Jesus comes. Uh, If you imagine what Daniel felt in his day when God revealed uh, to him where he was in history, and to look, uh, to see that, and to say, wow, we are so far from the end, but here we are at the end, able to look back, and I believe it's a great, probably the greatest privilege to be uh, alive today, workers for the Lord. Um, with that said, do you think it's possible that we've forgotten truly who we are as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, as, as children of God. I think so, and I think in many respects we have um, forgotten or not entirely grasped as, uh, as we should or appreciated what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, um, living today. The Jesus who was crucified for us so that we could have eternal life. If ever there was a time for God's people to fully grasp who they are, I believe it's now. I really do. Um, We have a purpose, a special purpose. You know, at the establishment of the Christian church, believers and followers of Christ risked everything. They risked everything to be named as a Christian. They risked everything. Uh, to be loyal to God, to his church. And not only did they risk everything, but many of them gave everything. Right? It was a risk. You could lose your life, and many of them did lose their lives to be named Christians. And so I want to take a couple minutes and just look a little bit at history, um, what it meant to be some of the very first followers of Christ, the very first Christians. And as I do that, um, try to compare what it's like to be a Christian today with what it was like then. And let's see if there's any difference. 
<clears throat> so Stephen was stoned. He was the first Christian martyr. That's Acts chapter 7. James, the son of Zebedee, beheaded uh, along with the person who accused him. And history says that uh, his accuser fell at his knees and repented due to the extraordinary courage, faith, and lack of worry that James had as he faced martyrdom. Philip was scourged and crucified in Heliopolis. Matthew was martyred, and um, they used a battle axe on him. James, the author of the book of James, uh, Jesus' brother, at 94 years old, we're told he was stoned and clubbed to death. Uh, Matthias was stoned and beheaded in Jerusalem. Andrew was crucified. Mark is said to have been dragged to pieces. Uh, Peter was crucified upside down under Nero. Paul was beheaded under Nero. Um, Jude or Thaddeus was crucified. Bartholomew beaten extensively and then crucified. Thomas was killed with a spear. Uh, Dr. Luke was hanged. Uh, Simon the Zealot was crucified. Barnabas is believed, he, it was believed that he was dragged out of the synagogue and stoned to death. And then there, of course, are the martyrs during the uh, 1260 years of papal persecution, the Waldensians, the, the Huguenots, terrible things happened to those folks. They risked everything to be Christians, and many of them paid everything to be Christians. Today in America, especially uh, in the South, in the Bible Belt, it can be a popular thing to be a Christian. It's often like a club membership in which the members enjoy certain benefits um, as a result of being part of the club. Uh, the motivations of the club members, um, we should question. So why is an individual a Christian? Why become a member of the church? Now, there's some things there on the screen, uh, but we do well to consider and ask ourselves the same question. Why am I a member of the remnant church? Um, certainly, we, we come together for fellowship, um, friendship, good food, right? We'll enjoy some good food today. Um, is it possible that we could be members of the church club rather than members of God's remnant church? And it all has to do with what, what our motivations are. What are our motivations? Is it a need for friends? Is it a desire for fellowship uh, or good home-cooked food? Um, you know, some will say, I, you know, I've never really amounted to anything, but now I have a position in the church. I have prestige. I have purpose. Um, you know, those things um, we need to consider. What brings us to be members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church? You know, the health message, you can lose weight and get in shape. Welcome to the Seventh-day Adventist Club. Um, success in the club, personal success, temporal blessings. You know, are we part of the church in order to receive some sort of benefit, a temporal benefit? And, you know, temporal benefits are not bad. It's really good to have close friends and have fellowship and, and break bread together, um, you know, to get uh, the benefits of the health message. But if that's our motivation, then we're merely club members. There has to be more to it than the temporal blessings. You know, the Seventh-day Adventist Church is a movement 
not a club. And in many respects, we have lost that portion of our directive. We're, we're not as much a movement as we used to be. You know, Protestant leaders um, decades ago were afraid of the Seventh-day Adventist church. Um, one individual in particular, and I can't think of his name now, he said, when you first started out, we were afraid of you because you, you used tents, you moved around, you had a message that no one else had. You were on fire for the message, but now you're just like everybody else, all the other churches, you have church buildings and you, and, you, know, you don't preach the way you used to preach. Now, that's not entirely true, of course, but that was the perspective of this Protestant leader. And so we have to remember that we're a movement. That's why the church plant is so important. It is not about just what goes on in this building. We are to be outwardly focused because the gospel has to go into all the world as a witness to all nations. And then what happens? And then the end comes, right? We're to reach the lost. And so keep that in mind. It's not a club membership. It's a movement. So godly motivations, that's what our motivation should be, okay? In search of the truth that God desires for us. You know, hopefully that's one of the reasons that we're here. We want to learn truth uh, that God has for us. Um, Major thing that God has called us to do is to vindicate his character, his reputation in the great controversy because Satan, that is what he has been at for a very long time, is to label God as a tyrant and to say all kinds of terrible things about him. And so one of our jobs, an important job, is to vindicate his character, loyalty uh, to our creator God, face-to-face fellowship. We look forward to that in heaven with our Savior. And obviously, at the top of the list would be to help win precious souls to Christ. And, you know, rest assured, in the time of trouble, Satan is going to bring to our minds every time we have not been loyal to our Creator. So that is so, so important. So these these godly motivations are very important. Eternal life, we look forward to that. No sorrow, no pain, no death. Face-to-face fellowship with the Savior, Um, achievement of the loftiest goals. I know there's many in this room, myself included, that have said, you know, I always wanted to do X, but never were able to do it. Um, And time has run out in order to accomplish whatever that goal was. We'll be able to achieve the loftiest goals. Um, Eternity with loved ones, reunited with those that we love uh, that have fallen asleep in Christ. Um you know that our learning capacity will be vastly increased, right? We are not using our brains as God originally intended. Um, Exploration of the universe, that really interests me. Um, You know, when I look up in a clear night, I'm just in awe of what's there. I want to, I'd like to explore that. And obviously, service to the Lord and King. You know, if the Lord just said, sweep those golden streets, I'd be glad to do it. You know, I'd even work 12-hour shifts, no problem. And then puzzling questions answered, right? Many of you, many of us have questions that we just can't get answers to. God is going to answer those questions. You know, um, 
What happened to the example set by the original followers of Jesus, uh, especially those in the book of Acts? And I propose to you that each generation comes, uh, with each generation comes a false belief or understanding that there is a declining need for the things of the Bible. Less and less a need to follow the examples of Jesus and his followers that we read about in the New Testament. A diminishing need or desire to apply Bible doctrine and instruction to our personal lives. I can remember speaking with a family member who's an elder in a Sunday church um, some years ago. And he asked me a question about the beliefs of our church or the beliefs of the Bible. And I shared with him, um, you know, what we believe, some of the things that we believe. And we had a, you know, a discussion back and forth. It was very cordial. But when it was over, he had reduced the Bible to John 3.16. I'm serious. I would present a scripture and say, well, that doesn't apply. To us, So that was just for the Greeks, so that was just for the Hebrews, so that's the Old Testament. And I'm not kidding you, when, when it was done, the Bible was reduced to John 3.16. Now, if it was only John 3.16, we'd all have a little piece of paper in our hand. But we don't, right? We have 66 books and deep, deep uh, things of God that he wants to share with us. And so I believe one major contributing factor to this uh, issue of declining uh, spirituality and the things of God and applying God's word um, is an increase in knowledge. You know, Daniel talked about that in the last days, knowledge shall increase. And, and there's a twofold fulfillment to that scripture. I think mainly knowledge shall increase about the prophecies of Daniel, but also we have seen a fulfillment in that technology. Knowledge has increased um, in these last days. And what has resulted is men and women, boys and girls, have become more self-sufficient, self-reliant, capable of doing many things. And unfortunately, that can translate over to the spiritual, which I think is a deadly mistake. Because what happens is we become self-sufficient and prideful. And as followers of Christ, that can lead to only bad things. And then complicated lives. Many of us have complicated lives. We need to live as simple a life as possible. Because being in a complicated life, it leaves very little time for the things of God. And, you know, I'm, I'm striving, my wife is striving to live a simpler life. So the Lord can use us exactly the way He wants to. You know, He has a will for you and for me. And oftentimes we declare our our will. We just decide this is what I'm going to do. But if our lives were simpler and we spend more time listening in quiet time, the Lord will reveal His will for us. This is from the Desire of Ages. The very image of God is to be reproduced in humanity. The honor of God, the honor of Christ is involved in the perfection of the character of His people. Right? Aren't parents whose children are respectful and honest and good, aren't they a joy to their parents? Absolutely. They're an honor to their parents. And the same is true for our Heavenly Father, for Christ as well. Um, 
the image of God is seen in us, hopefully. The very image of God is to be reproduced in us. Only when the truth is accompanied to the heart by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, will it quicken the conscience or transform the life. One might be able to present the letter of the Word of God. He might be familiar with all its commands and promises, but unless the Holy Spirit sets home the truth, no souls will fall on the rock and be broken. No amount of education, no advantages, however great, can make one a channel of light without the cooperation of the Spirit of God. The sowing of the gospel seed will not be a success unless the seed is quickened into the life by the dew of heaven. So do we want the gospel to be a success? Then we we really need to um, take counsel here. Our scripture reading, one of my favorites, Colossians 1, 27 through 29. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is speaking of the gospel. And for, for the gospel to be successful, you must have Christ dwelling in the heart. Christ in you, that's our hope. That's the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving. Yes, we have to strive. Bible says so. According to his working, which works in me mightily. So you see the balance there, right? We can't just... Put it in neutral and expect God to take over and drive us. We must strive to allow God to work mightily in our lives. There's a glory in the everlasting gospel because it not only saves through the blood of Jesus, it makes radical changes at a heart level. We talked about needing a new heart today. The everlasting gospel does the impossible. Does the impossible. The everlasting gospel is rich in glory. God's will is that the gospel may be, the gospel be made known to everyone. That's the work of the Adventist movement. And the key is Christ in you. Not knowledge, although it's important. Um. Christ in you. The message includes warnings and teachings to everyone in all areas of wisdom. So the gospel in Noah's day had a major warning, didn't it? But the ark, which represented Christ and salvation, was available to everyone. And so the the gospel message today, I mean, if you read Revelation uh, 14, 6 through 12, the three angels' messages, you see a beautiful mix uh, there of all the things that God's people need to know in these last days. The everlasting gospel. Everyone would be perfect in Christ. That's God's goal. Different from the world. Remarkably so. When they look at you, they should see something different. They should recognize right away, okay, this is a Christian. Whether that makes them angry or not, they should see Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
And Paul's work was to accomplish this. And, and notice that it's Christ who works in us mightily. And the world is looking for something different. They really are, even though they won't admit that. And many will reject what you have in Christ. You know, the message with the message of the three angels, we with the message, we have to have something different to offer the world. And then we have to be something different, right? Because the truth will make a change or should make a change. Otherwise, we're hypocrites, right? And, and you know, if you read in the Gospels, Jesus didn't hold back any words when he dealt with hip- hypocrites, right? Um, it, it, we need to live the Gospel as we preach it. The world's looking for something different. So how is it possible? I saw that we would not put off the coming of the Lord, that we should not put off the coming of the Lord. Said the angel, prepare, prepare for what is coming upon the earth. Let your works correspond with your faith. I saw that the mind must be stayed upon God and that our influence should tell for God and his truth. We cannot honor God when we are careless and indifferent. We must be earnest to secure our own soul's salvation and to save others. All importance should be attached to this, and everything besides should come in secondary. The Lord does not now work to bring many souls into the truth because of the church members who have never been converted and those who were once converted but who have backslidden. What influence would these unconsecrated members have on new converts? Would they not make of no effect the God-given message which his people are to bear? I remember my brother and I were doing Bible studies um, with some folks, and it was an Adventist who came, young man who came to visit. And, you know, he kind of hung around with my brother and I, and we were, you know, out doing Bible studies. And he came with us one night, and... right in the middle of this Bible study and decision-making, he revealed that he was unconverted. And it was, I can't even describe how negative that experience was for those people that we were doing Bible studies with that were making decisions. So, you know, we must, we must have a Christ-like influence at all times. People are watching. People are watching. Um, they know what's in your refrigerator. They know what you're doing at work. They know what you're carrying around with you. Um, they know how you treat people. Um, we, we have to have Christ in us. And then those that are open, they will want what you have. I mean, you've probably had this experience. You've been around somebody for about 90 seconds, and you know, that is a Christian. I've, I've had that happen many times. Sometimes you can tell an Adventist. I was at the beach years ago uh, down in Florida. We weren't on the beach five minutes, and we knew that the family right there were Seventh-day Adventists. And so those are powerful witnesses, especially to the lost. I mean, it's nice to run into other Adventists, but... Um, <clears throat> we want the world to be reached. First Peter 2.9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him 
who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So if we're living in darkness still, if we're clinging to the world, in other words, those that are lost will see that and say, well, what's the difference? They don't have anything different to offer. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. And that's the key, right? We want God's character to be vindicated. We want people to glorify God, not glorify me or you, but glorify God. Because as workers for the Lord, he is asking us to help bring people face-to-face with him, right? Sin has separated us from God. God wants to fellowship with his children. For even here unto ye uh, were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. So we're to abstain from the things of the flesh. We need to deny self and experience privation. You know, in our small group study last night, we talked about this. Whether we like it or not, if we live, you know, not much longer, we're going to experience this not because we want to, but because that's the way things are in the world. When, the, when we cannot buy or sell, we are going to experience privation and we will have to deny self. Or throw in the towel and, and go the, w- the way of the world. And so we're to abstain from things now, fleshly things now, deny ourselves. Because we're to follow the example of Jesus. Jesus didn't even have a place to lay his head, right? And, and he did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. You know, is what Peter, First Peter says impossible? No, it wouldn't be in God's word if it was. By the power of Christ and his blood, we can, through his grace, we can experience this. And, and Revelation talks about it. it, speaks of those alive when Jesus comes, 144,000, the redeemed saints. Um, I love this, John chapter 10, 27 and 28. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they what? They follow me. They follow his example. They, they go where he has called them to go. They do what he has called them to do. And he goes on. He says, and I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man. And that word man is added. Um, and I would like to remove it. But um, I love the way it would read uh, without that word. Neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. Any demon, any man, woman, or child. Any worldly thing, any, any attraction, any, any entertainment. If we hear the Lord's voice, we follow him, he will give us eternal life. We shall never perish. And no one can take that from us. It's, those, are, those are beautiful words of Jesus and they're a promise. Our last slide. Titus 2, 11 through 13. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly. You're not hearing this in many places. They're leaving out the denying 
Um, you know, the Bible is very clear. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that we must deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. We need to live soberly, righteously, and godly. Those are works that we have to do. That's the striving. That's the overcoming that the early chapters of Revelation talk about over and over again. He who overcomes, he who overcomes, he who overcomes. It's a balance. In this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we have to do it. We have to deny the things of the world. Lord will not deny them for you. He's not going to make the decision to turn that off. And that's a struggle. I'm certain it's a struggle. That's a struggle. You know, as Seventh-day Adventists, um, we have to be remarkably different than the world. If we're going to be successful. Absolutely. And, you know, people will ask questions. They'll say, how come you don't? And there's a door. It just opened. Right? And with that, we also need to know why we do or don't do the things we do or don't do, right? Why is it that you aren't in a movie theater on Friday nights or Saturday nights? And you can explain that, right? You should be able to explain that. Why don't you consume this or that? Or why do you avoid this or that? How come you dress the way that you do? Right? We need to have an answer. Why do you keep the seventh-day Sabbath? You need to be able to answer those questions. God does not want us to be like the world. So it means that all of us will have to make some difficult changes, most likely. Maybe some have reached a place where they don't have to make difficult changes, but the majority probably will. We're going to have to deny ourselves worldly indulgences. And this means sacrificing um, some things. And the Lord wants 100% loyalty consecration, surrender. And this is something that we have to do every day. You know, Paul said, I die daily, right? It's not something that you do once and then everything goes good until something goes bad and then you do it again. Every day, right? Consecrate your life to the Lord. And he will open opportunities for us to share the message that no other church is sharing. And don't be fooled into thinking someone else is sharing the three angels' messages. They are not. Their gospel is completely different. Uh, many of those evangelical gospels have entered the Adventist church. There might be some here that believe an evangelical gospel. Read Revelation and, and, and investigate what is the everlasting gospel. It's spelled right out there in, in Revelation 14. It tells you what it is. And so uh, we need to know this stuff. And God will open doors and we can share the gospel. No one else is doing it. And the end will come, promise from Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, it's uh, difficult sometimes to do some introspection, to look at ourselves in the mirror, to analyze our lives, uh, to see where we stand with you. But we're the only ones that can do it. No one can do it for us. No one knows our hearts. You know our hearts, but um, we need to look in the mirror. We need to examine self and compare ourselves with your word and with Jesus and, and uh, help us to do that, Lord, honestly. Um, this, the, the enemy of souls, he, he wants to deceive us into thinking we're just fine the way that we are. 
And uh, that will be a rude awakening for us if there's no change. And so, Father, by your grace, um, by the blood of Jesus, we ask, Lord, that you would do a work in us, that you would empower us to do the, the, our part, the difficult part, the decision-making, and give us a repentant heart. Lord, help us. Because I know, Lord, that you want to use each person here uh, in these last days to share the three angels' messages, young and old. You want to use them all. And so, Lord, we leave it in your good hands. Help us to uh, be 100% loyal to you each day, to consecrate our lives to you, to put you first before all things, and simplify our lives, Lord. Help us to simplify our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.